It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6, 1998. Goldberg captured the gold. We look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome everyone to Reliving the War here on the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network. My name is Nims Azor. My co-host, as always, is Simon Tackler. Happy New Year! It is officially 1997. <laughs> and Simon, after our watch-along of um, the Royal Rumble 97 that we did, and you can download it and watch along as well on the Grey Wolf Wrestling website, it does give you a bit of optimism, especially since 1997 is the great year of wrestling. It's almost like the renaissance of wrestling. However, the way WCW starts it off, um, would you say it was anything renaissance <laughs> Absolutely not. It's the opposite <laughs> of a renaissance. While 97 would be the time that the WWE starts catching up to WCW in terms of creativity, maybe the ratings aren't, yet, aren't there yet, but they definitely match them by really gearing into the Attitude Era. For WCW, if this was a sign of things to come, kicking off a pay-per-view with garbage trucks was Mm. truly a a sign of where things were going for the promotion as a whole, I think. So let's set the scene in WCW. We've already been through the Royal Rumble. Uh, Now, WCW is going absolutely all cylinders here. WWF are almost dead in the water, wouldn't you say? Yeah, in a lot of ways, people would have ridden the WWE off, especially considering the Royal Rumble that we watched, they couldn't even fill out 30 men. Like, there were a lot of lower card people who, in any other year, would never make a Royal Rumble. You had guys from AAA that, you know, outside of Mexico or or Texas. Yeah, who's heard of these guys? And yeah, as good as that pay-per-view is, as fun as it is and iconic, it really... mm, you wouldn't say that WWE was going to win the war at that point. Not at all. And you mentioned the garbage truck. So let's get straight into it. The first WCW pay-per-view of 1997 is NWO sold out. This is the first ever promoted as NWO only. They've made a big song and dance about this is not WCW. This is how the NWO has finally taken over. And you're right. It starts off with a police escort with the NWO arriving on garbage trucks into the arena. It's all in black and white. And to be quite honest, it's a very self-indulgent piece to start off the pay-per-view, isn't it? Yeah, which makes sense considering the NWO had taken over and they won the rights to having their own pay-per-view. And this was really cool for 30 seconds, but it goes for three minutes where they ride in on the trucks, then they come into the arena and each guy obviously thought, I don't need a script. I can just ad-lib my way through this. And every time the camera cuts to them, they're just like, woo, NWO for life. And then they'd cut back to them and like, yeah, we're good. Like no one had anything to say. It got really awkward by, you know, the third cut to Kevin Nash or whatever. 
I was just about to bring that up. So I've got that written in my notes because it goes from one garbage truck to another one. They're all hanging off the back like they're just garbos on a Wednesday morning collecting your bins. And it'd be like Scott Hall doing is like, you know, we said we're going to take over. We're taking over. Then the camera lingers on him for a little bit more. It's almost like someone <laughs> said, do you have anything else to say? Oh, no, because oh, we have to actually get to the arena here. And the garbage yeah. truck isn't the best way to do it. But They should have the started end- closer to the arena. I think yes. they thought they could fill out the time around the corner. No, they should have started right outside. Oh, you are not wrong there. So it's a very self-indulgent intro. But to be honest, it fits the characters of the NWO. And we have that NWO voiceover doing uh, pretty much every bit of VO work there. You know, the NW, the New World Order. That voice is throughout the evening. And it starts off with one of those Eric Bischoff propaganda pieces, you know, where he's sort of at the podium, like, we're taking over, we're taking control. The almost um, dictator-like sort of thing that Eric Bischoff most famously uh, pioneered back in the day there. And that was better. That should have just been the open to the show because that was one of the best produced uh, openings to a pay-per-view we've seen from WCW. It looked slick. It was really cool. It was creative. You know, had that great look to it. You didn't need the garbage trucks. There were so many dumb ideas in this that don't make anyone look good. The garbage truck is the first one of them. But anyway, they had something great there with that like, yeah, press conference propaganda. That should have been the open to the show. And it was great too. And you feel anything that Eric Bischoff is involved in seems to be pretty good, except for the Miss NWO segments, which we'll get to a little bit later on. Mm. But it's almost as if like, he's got a great idea. He mentions it to someone and then they sort of get a bit carried away with it because you then start off the pay-per-view after you've got all of the, the fanfare and the garbage trucks. And there is a very strange video wall promo and it's almost like if you've ever seen the original power rangers where all the power rangers are there talking to zordon that's what it's kind of like because they're all on video screens to cut the first um to cut the uh the welcome essentially to the pay-per-view and it's really really strange you got eric bischoff and ted DiBiase on commentary but i want to ask you son what did you think of the actual set i really liked the set i remember sort of just in my memory, it looked really bad and I thought it looked really cheap, but watching it, I thought it was really cool. It had this massive staircase that came down, sort of just a real simple lighting rig that would sort of, you know, spell out names as people would come out and just three big screens. Honestly, it looked better than what promotions do now in that it yep. felt, felt big, but it also felt sort of, you know, a little bit dingy, like that classic Attitude Era look. Yeah, it really felt, I the way I sort of took for it, I, I felt like a bit of like a really dingy gig, sort of grimy kind of vibe that, because obviously the NWO, they didn't have the polish, but it made it look cool. It made it look renegade. And funnily enough, just talking about the little video wall of lights thing, spelling out New World Order, uh, it did need to be a little bit wider because you could spell out New World fit in, but Order didn't quite fit in. They had to put like the <laughs> O up there, and, but... That's neither here nor there. And this is something else that leads us to our first match. Uh, as I said, Eric Bischoff and Ted DiBiase are on commentary. They're sort of sitting up in the little nitro position, but they don't have a desk. They're just sort of sitting on a table and a bunch of TVs. And it just looked really strange. But we start off the pay-per-view with Jericho versus Masahiro Shono. Now, Shono is representing the NWO here. And something that we need to point out that is a theme throughout the show is... There is no music for anyone that's not NWO related, but Chono gets the B-team theme. And he also gets 
um, what is really strange because he's team NWO here. He's getting booed because he's Japanese, mm. and that's just what we're continuing to think. And as he's coming down to the rank, uh, down to the down to the royal, um, the aisle, sorry, and to the ring, there is a bunch of women on bikes looking very, very awkward because they're going to be part of the Miss NWO um, pageant that is weaved throughout the entire night. Yeah, we got to talk about, like we mentioned how the set looked good, but aside from the set, there were all these like little add-ons. Like you said, no commentary desk, just Ted and Eric casually sitting by the stage. You also had a band who, mm-hmm. I, I, the whole pay-per-view, I tried to figure out, are they actually playing the NWO funky B-team music every time or are they pretending to? I could never figure it out. And of course, yeah, the uh, icing on the cake, the awkward mums on Harley Davidson's who the camera would cut to during entrances and they would have no idea what to do. Just be like, woo, and just, yeah, Yeah, horrible. I can't believe they had to sit there for three hours. It's the strangest thing because they're literally just sitting there, the camera cuts to them and it's just like, yeah, I love wrestling. Woo, thumbs up. It is so, so strange. Mm. And when Simon says mums, he's actually describing them. Like, imagine our parents, wherever you're listening, <laughs> the parents that are in the state yeah. now that they're in, having to sit through three hours of NWO sold out. It's the most bizarre thing. But one thing that we do, like, it does sound like we are crapping on it. And in a way that we are. But this is something that obviously they tried once. They never did it again because they realized, you know what? That probably didn't work, but we gave it a go. Weird way to start the pay-per-view. Not only is it Chono versus Jericho, Jericho is meant to be, you know, the good guy in this, which makes him kind of the bad guy because it's an NWO pay-per-view or whatever the logic is. But the crowd was chanting USA. Neither guy Mm -hmm. is American. And they specifically said that. They didn't do the WWE early 2000s thing where they say, and born in New York, Chris Jericho. Mm. They specifically <laughs> said to insult him, and this guy is from somewhere in the great white north or, or across the border or whatever. But anyway, nobody was into this match in terms of the crowd. They didn't know how to react to it. No, because like you said, you've got Chris Jericho, who is from Canada, representing Team WCW in an NWO-branded pay-per-view where I'm guessing NWO is meant to be the good guys. Uh, and another thing we're going to mention is there are also WCW invaders there. And it's a bit like if you've seen ECW One Night Stand, the original one, where you had guys from Raw and SmackDown, like, um, and ironically, Eric Bischoff, um, sort of just sitting in the crowd. This is basically what happens. You have Harlem Heat, the Faces of Fear, the Nasty Boys, and just solo Arn Anderson. Just there. <laughs> No horseman came with him. No. Um, we've also have to talk about Nick Patrick because he refs the whole event, but his outfit just to make it gritty and NWO because him having a goatee and a earring wasn't an earring. enough. In this, he's not dressed like a ref. He's wearing an NWO t-shirt and a backwards baseball cap. And he looks even more like Kenny Powers <laughs> in this outfit, like straight up. It is. It's a weird design choice, but like I said, you got to give WCW some credit. They're trying something new here. Um, we get a pretty decent match from Chono and mm. Jericho. Um, Jericho goes through a table as well. Chono wins the match and then gets thoroughly booed at the end of it. <laughs> he does because again, he's part of NWO Japan, which nobody in the crowd, you know, was watching New Japan Pro Wrestling, and no one really knew who he was. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Eric Bischoff's commentary. I forgot how annoying he was on commentary (laughs) when someone would do martial arts moves uh, because, of course, Eric Bischoff being a legit kickboxer and karate man. 
Um, mm-hmm. When Jericho did just a spinning heel kick, Bischoff called it a nice jump back reverse sidekick. Get <laughs> stuffed. And then he also said after Chono did an enziguri, he said, forget all the wrestling vernacular that's been applied to that move. It's a jump back leg round kick. Is it, Eric? Just call it an enziguri. It's a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. Everyone knows what an enziguri is. We've known it from the start of wrestling. We It's called it today. Just... Stop, stop trying to change so much stuff. And then the only thing he called what it should be is Chono's finisher, which is like the running big boot, the mafia kick. I was shocked mm. that he just said mafia kick and not like forward step front leg face kick or something like that. Yeah, but anyway, you know, he gave that its real name. It's like the, the exclamation point boot is what it's called. <laughs> it's it's just so bizarre. But that was, that was, and Eric Bischoff has said on 83 weeks, like at that point in time, he was trying his best to be the most obnoxious. And you've interviewed Eric Bischoff as well. You know, he's not that type of guy. So no, no, he's really comes <laughs> off really cool. And I think his commentary isn't bad at all. It's just the martial arts thing mm. seems to be his sticking point. Oh, and also this gave me flashbacks to when I was watching Nitro. I forgot that when Bischoff would commentate Chono matches, he would call him Masa My Hero Chono, and he would do oh, it like geez. 10 times a match, and he did it so many times here. Anyway. It's almost it's almost as bad as Larry Zabisco trying to make New World odor a thing. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, then we get to our first segment after the match, which is the first of many Miss NWO pageant segments. Basically, as we said, it's a bunch of random pictures of women now and there are chance there's actually booing from the crowd because this goes for a while and i don't know i can't i didn't make i didn't even bother to go to the effort to make note of the guy's name who was doing and hosting those miss nwo segments but he's interviewing each one now and then like how's your night been trying to get some weird double entendre off him and they're just giving him absolutely nothing because obviously these are regular people that don't want to say anything too dirty or derogatory on a national TV. Yeah, his name is Jeff Katz. I Googled it because I'm going to send him some hate mail right as we stop <laughs> recording this. No, I'm not. Please don't come after me. But my God, he was annoying. Um, and also these women, the only note I made here when they showed all the photos, I said they all look like Jill from Home Improvement. And that's the way to sum it up if you're not going to watch this pay-per-view. Imagine Mrs. Toolman Taylor in leather pants. Yeah. In fact, that's a great way to do it. Picture every wife from the 90s sitcom. So you've got yeah. Jill from Home Improvement. You've got the mum from uh, Malcolm in the Middle. You've got oh, all yeah. of them. Raymond's <laughs> got wife all... in Everybody Loves Raymond. They all Imagine those women on bikes. That's the yeah. NWO contest. Being forced to sit there on Harley Davidson's and watching the NWO for three hours. That is basically what happens. Let's get to our next match, which is you can tell as we go through the card, it varies in quality very heavily. You could see where the top end of talent is. But our next match is Hugh Morris versus Big Bubba. Hugh Morris representing the faces of fear here. Big Bubba representing the NWO. I made note to say that Bossman actually says, as he's doing his entrance, NWO for life, baby. <laughs> Which, as we know, just he had a. He, when you think of the amount of people that were in the NWO, it's amazing to see, like, why did anyone think this would be a good idea? But there is also during the match a weird sort of POV camera shot as well. So it's almost like from like Doom style or first person shooter mm. style. It's so bizarre. But the weird thing is, I wrote down in my notes, Hugh Morris looks like Rhino cosplaying as a Dudley boy in this. <laughs> yeah. Hugh Morris is a guy who it felt like he would just 
his outfit was just trying to be cool. He'd wear anything like just, he's a guy who j- it just never clicked. Nothing yeah. he did really ever worked. In fact, the thing that he's most well known for, uh, aside from his uh, indiscretions as a WWE trainer, <laughs> but the biggest thing that he's known for inside the ring is being the first person that Goldberg defeated in the streak. But this is a Mexican death match and Bubba basically just runs all over Hugh Morris here. Yeah, and a Mexican death match took me a while to figure out what that was. It's a last man standing match with the 10 count. Again, just had a different name like the one we saw with the Executioner and the Undertaker. And yeah, pretty much Bubba beats up Hugh Morris the whole time. And it's got one of the craziest finishes ever because they're out on the aisle. One of the Harleys is sitting there. Bubba gets on it. And runs over runs Hugh Morris over. with a Harley. And I said, the very smackdown, here comes the pain of him. Because <laughs> remember, he could get on the bike and it would like move around like a box. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, he gave him the here comes the pain Harley and that was it. Yeah, he runs over Hugh Morris to win the match there. Which then leads us to our next Miss NWO segment. And it is just awful. These don't get any worse. I don't know why they keep going back to it, but... It, there's nothing to salvage from these Miss NWO segments. You feel sorry for these poor women that have had to, you know, obviously, because I doubt that they'd be there for the full three hours. Like they were only there for the full three hours. They probably got there early in the day. Yep, we'll have you here. We'll put you up in a, all of this sort of stuff. So you really felt sorry for them after a while. And even that Jeff Katz bloke, is it Jeff Katz? What's his name? Yeah, Jeff Katz. Yeah, Jeff Katz. He's doing his best because he can see that this segment is dying very quickly. Mm. Well, yeah, he tried his best, which couldn't save this. Um, I think this was a segment where they then showed the stage behind them, which had a silhouette effect because it was like a, a big projector with nothing behind it. And then they would get like a daggy woman to sort of dance behind the mm. projector. And they were like, wow, look at these hot women. And it's clearly yeah. just an uncomfortable lady moving her arms side to side. Correct. It's almost like if you've ever seen the Filthy Animals late entrance or a Bond movie intro, that's exactly (laughs) what it looks like. Uh, They then show some pictures of the NWO website. And the thing that I love about it is that the giant is still listed as a member of the NWO, not just on the website that they show, but he's also on the poster, despite the fact that he's taking on Hulk Hogan in the main (laughs) event of this this pay-per-view. But hey, look. (laughs) <laughs> what do you do what do you do Biossi was very happy about this website though he's like even i've got my own page like it was such yeah. a big deal back then you forget how big like you know because it, it was I, i'm guessing this is one of the first websites aside from nba.com that kids used to always just visit <laughs> yeah. first uh we then get to our next match which and as i said it's a sliding scale when it comes to quality of card and wrestlers Jeff Jarrett, who's representing not the NWO, because I don't think he's part of the Horsemen still. Uh, no, he's definitely not part of the Horsemen, but no. he takes on VK Wall Street, who is formerly IRS. And I just wrote down here, IRS just looks like your dad trying to fit in. Complete mm. garbage. <laughs> yeah, he, like, really, he gets underrated when people talk about the worst NWO member. Not that he's necessarily the worst wrestler. Absolutely the least like the worst fit for the NWO. He's Mm. probably not older than any of the other guys. He just feels older. Like, yeah, he's a dad who isn't cool and shouldn't be part of this like street gang who's talking about being for life and has cool hand symbols. (laughs) It's this, as this match is so slow, it's so plodding. There's sleeper holes, 
But the best part about this match, the blatant cheating by Nick Patrick. It's absolutely fantastic. I'll be honest, I zoned out during this match. <laughs> I almost like went into a trance of the most boring 1993 style match that, yeah, you couldn't get me to watch anymore. Like, I'm sure all of the wrestling was fine. Technically, it was fine. But this mm. is the epitome of like the most boring type of wrestling. Yeah. And I like when... Jeff Jarrett. I usually defend him. This I couldn't. I love Jeff Jarrett. It's well documented that I love Jeff Jarrett as well. But when in a match, the cheating by the referee <laughs> is the best thing you've got from it. Basically sort of sums it up there. But yeah, Jeff Jarrett gets the win after Mongo interferes. Once again, foreshadowing Deborah's relationship with Jeff Jarrett in the WWE, maybe. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. I saw Mongo. I thought, okay, something's happening. I did write, I hate all these guys in WCW as my last <laughs> note. It's also another indication of when you say, oh, good, Mongo's here. Another <laughs> indication that things aren't going the best. He saved we... this Mike Rotundo <laughs> match. To be honest, I don't think I've ever seen a fun Mike Rotundo match. No, at least outside of his work as Money Inc. Well, uh, even then, like, was he that good? It was just mainly him walking in with a briefcase and hitting someone with a briefcase. Yeah. And hey, stick with what you're good with. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's about it. Look, the Miss NWO pageant continues yet again. This part, though, I do like because they talk to an old lady. She's absolutely fantastic because she's not listening to the guy as he's interviewing. So he's like, what do you think? What would you do? Tell me something you'd do to like spend a night with Hulk Hogan. She's like, I beg your pardon? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. And then he just... asked her again and she says, how would I explain that? And it was just so awkward. <laughs> it's so bad, but it's so bad. It is good. Uh, we then get to our next match, which is the American males explode. <laughs> Not quite the same as the mega powers, but earlier, and you'd know this a little bit better, having watched some of the nitros from that era, the NWO put out an open recruitment drive. So yeah. basically, if you want to be part of the NWO, come down now. And if I recall correctly, the Buff Bagwell was one of the first people to do it. Marcus Bagwell. And Scotty Riggs actually comes out with him. He's like, no, Marcus, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. He's like, no, no, I've got to do it. It's a really good segment. And Buff joins the NWO there and Riggs gets taken out. So this match, obviously, is the culmination of that feud. But Buff Bagwell, he's dressed like a male stripper. Yeah, which, I mean, that was their gimmick anyway, as the American males. There were these two Buff sort of stripper guys who were presented as faces which is still mm -hmm. kind of weird but anyway buff it's a great story because he's the opposite of michael wall street if there's a guy who ended up really fitting in the nwo and making it work it's buff bagwell he's one okay. of like everyone's favorite nwo members that you ask you know from our generation everyone loved buff poor scotty riggs though just gets wasted for a few years. He ends up being sort of, you know, a side member of the flock eventually, just as Riggs. Mm. I didn't even realize he had a career pre-Riggs when I was a kid. Um, and he would wear an eye patch or whatever. But yeah. yeah, this match was one of the better matches on the card, though. I didn't know what to expect going in. I thought it was pretty good. It is really good too. And uh, this is also, this is another one of those matches where it kind of gets awkward because it's an NWO pay-per-view, but clearly it's a WCW audience. They, mm. despite the fact that you can say NWO and WCW were different, people knew, people are smart enough to know like, yep, this is still a WCW show because Bagwell sucks is getting a chant here because the crowd obviously 
uh, annoyed that he turned on his partner, Scotty Riggs. That's the storyline. And that's what makes sense because Marty Jannetty was the good guy when yeah. um, Sean Michaels turned on him. Um, oh, Macho Man was the bad guy when the mega powers exploded. That's just how wrestling works. But another cool thing about this match, which, as you said, was pretty good. It's the debut of the Buff Blockbuster. Buff's finishing move off the corner. And it's pretty... It's it's one of those moves where I'm surprised no one's taken over the mantle yet. It is a really cool move. I remember, you know, everyone thought it was impressive as a kid. And they did a great job of hyping it up because they kept saying, oh, Buff's going to debut his new, you know, finishing move. And he hits it. And it's awesome. I think it even gets a pretty decent pop, though, when he hits it because no one had ever seen it. Um, and WCW did a good job at this time, you know, with the diamond cutter explaining yep. how that move was so important and that move will kill you. They were trying to do that with the blockbuster too, I thought. And yeah, it was good. Kind of a, it was... a, a historically important match because we saw the <laughs> debut of the blockbuster. And we also saw probably the last time Scotty Riggs was relevant before he joined the flock. Um, I think he could yeah. have been a star. You see him here. You're like, oh, that guy would probably get a push in the WWE. Yeah, yeah, like because like you said, they were the American Males, a very serviceable tag team. They weren't bad wrestlers. They weren't like you know, they were almost on. We'll put the best way I can put it, they were the WCW version of the Smoking Guns. <laughs> where you're like, oh, these both both guys look like they have potential. Yeah, one of them yeah. would exploit that. One of them wouldn't. <laughs> one of them wouldn't. Yeah, but now we've got the win for Buff here. The weird thing is there's some pyro to finish off, plus dancing with the over 35s there for Buff Bagwell. But they keep mentioning throughout the paper, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier in the podcast, camera angles. Now, they're debuting a bunch of camera angles you've never seen before, like top-down shots, first-person shots. But yeah, these it's great to see that they are going outside the box to try and think of ways to do things. But it's still a bit, eh, just stick to what's good. Yeah, I feel like they do this in wrestling every few years where, you know, they're going to try a new camera angles. And I remember NXT did this at times and mm -hmm. they did this on like, you know, those weirder shows like 205 Live. They've tried it with Raw every few years when they need a reset. I think it just shows, just stick to the basics. There's certain yeah, yeah. angles that work. We don't need all this extra fisheye lens and all this stuff. Just yeah. show us wrestling. We then get led to another Miss NWO segment. You know our thoughts on it. Nothing really changes. It's it's exactly the same. Yeah, another one where the women can't hear him and this guy is the worst. That's what I wrote. Yeah. Jeff Katz is the worst. Yeah. I, I've also noticed that. Another one couldn't hear, but we'll move on to our next match. DDP versus Scott Norton. Now, the LED board, the light screen behind it, just says cool when, <laughs> when they come down. What I absolutely love was DDP's finally hitting his stride. We mentioned that we've loved seeing since Bash of the Beach 1996, that slow burn to DDP becoming, mm. you know, the people's champion that we know and love. We're at peak DDP here because it's just after he's turned down the NWO. So much so that the NWO voiceover, the PA, calls him a loser over and over on the PA. But yeah. this, I, I actually really enjoyed this match. Yeah, the guy controlling that loser voice effect from the last match into this one really starts going overboard. Because, yeah, <laughs> when uh, Scotty Riggs lost, he just kept hitting loser, loser, loser. And he yeah. kept doing this to DDP. Um, the one thing DDP hasn't ditched yet, though, is the cigar. Yep. That would be the last thing to get rid of. And, he, and I think the sunglasses. 
I feel like Sonny's weren't a part of face DDP. But anyway, no, yeah, you're right. Much almost there in terms of like his presentation. Also, a guy in the front row had a sign that said DDP, bam, which I guess he didn't realize it was bang yet. Like maybe yeah. that wasn't, uh, you know, <laughs> trademarked him yet. We're still early days here, but you're right. DDP is slowly learning. We're getting to peak DDP at the moment because he does the diamonds that are kind, uh, diamond cut. Uh, diamond cutter sign before he does the diamond cutter the crowd just absolutely loved a bit and the the weirdest part of this entire match for me was bischoff talking about how scott norton is a doorman uh which was so bizarre but then what's really strange the match then takes a turn because buff bagwell and the rest of the nwob team come out to try and recruit ddp in essentially a replay of what we saw on nitro except without hall and nash yeah, without Hall and Nash and with the, the B-team goons of the NWO, I thought it was weird because the match was actually pretty good, like you said, up until that point. DDP's doing, you know, a whole bunch of innovative moves that he would do. Scott Norton looking, you know, fat and jacked as he usually does. I still don't... <laughs> he's a very odd-looking man. Um, but yeah, I wrote Buff and some jabronis come out. They try and do the whole, put on a tee, we won't beat you up. We want you in the NWO. Buff even says, we love you and we love your moves. So they're trying to recruit the diamond cutter. And mm. yeah, straight up replay of that iconic Nitro segment. He puts on the t-shirt, says, yeah, yeah, I'll join. Shakes Norton hands, pulls him in, diamond cutter, beats up the you know some of the other guys and gets easily the pop of the night. This is a brilliant segment, even though we had seen it. Uh, he then runs through the crowd, which again becomes a DDP sort of you know, iconic thing. Yep. We sort mm-hmm. of do it at the last pay-per-view too. And he rips the NWO shirt and gets an even bigger pop. This was the most fun part of the whole show. It was really cool. And him running through the crowd also leads to another bit of smart, uh, which I thought was really great. Scott Norton wins because DDP is counted out. Like, oh, how good was that? Yeah, Nick Patrick goes over and, and announces <laughs> that, yeah, due to count out, Norton wins. So that sort of covered that base too. It was so cool. But uh, going from that to, which I've written in my notes, great, dot, 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 another missed NWO segment. We'll skip over that because- <laughs> I didn't we... make notes on that one. That one I thought, <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Yeah, I just got, no, no, I don't care. I This is just dragging on for high, like, just, it's too much. We then get to our next match, the Steiners versus the Outsiders. Now we get the A team, the proper NWO is out and- it's also signified by the fact that the NWO proper theme music is out for Hall and Nash as well. Mm. And the very cool thing is that the crowd, you can tell the gulf between the foundation members of the NWO and like the new additions. Like Buff Bagwell didn't really get too much. Throughout later, everyone was loving Buff Bagwell. But this time around, no one really gives a huge sort of attention to the NWO members. But once Hall and Nash come out, the roof explodes. Yeah, and and I, I'd love to know, I'd love to ask Hall and Nash and, and Sean Waltman, was it on purpose that around this time, once more members were recruited, that they really tried branding themselves as the Wolfpack yep. to separate themselves from the rest of the NWO who eventually would just become sort of, you know, bodies to get beat up by Sting? Because yep. they're the Wolfpack. Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan. He's the champ. Yep. Like, he's the leader. And Bischoff isn't a wrestler. He's separate. But they did a great job of sort of separating themselves. And I wonder if that was, you know, self-preservation there. 
Yeah, probably. In, in, the best way you can sort of put it this time around, like in modern day terms, is you know when the Bullet Club, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega becoming the elite a little bit. Uh, because at first everyone's like Wolfpack. What is this Wolfpack thing? That's mm. what we all remember. Uh, in fact, a lot of people think it's one of the coolest things of the NWA era. But something else that I do love, I love the Scott Hall arm drag and smack the opponent on on the head move. <laughs> yeah, Scott Hall was so good in terms of yeah putting stuff like that. He would do that. He would even do it when he had them in an abdominal stretch. He'd like slap their face a little bit. So much character stuff that Scott Hall does. Um, sort of makes him stand out what a great match though we've seen the outsiders have so many good matches on pay-per-view i totally forgot that they feuded with the steiners so you can't go wrong here um Mm. you know everyone's still sort of at a peak uh physically it was really good also to the pump of pump pre-bleach blonde hair did you ever get the feeling that he looks really shy and uncomfortable he does. He, oh, he really just had to put that. When you think of Scott Steiner and what he began, became, Big Bad Booty Daddy, he just looks very much like, oh, I'm just here with my brother. You know, we, we, like, to, we like to wrestle a little bit. Oh, but I'm pretty muscly, of- but I want to wear a singlet because I'm kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to show off my body. Like, it's really yeah. weird. He's so far away from talking about the freaks and peaks <laughs> that it is just ridiculous. But do you talk about pe- these guys being at their peak? Scott Steiner actually gives Kevin Nash a massive suplex. Like, Kevin Nash, it's crazy. Some of the suplexes he hits, like, Scott Hall's a big guy too. He throws him like he's nothing. He does the same to Kevin Nash. We get great wrestling from the two Scots. Like, Rick Steiner still looks good. Nash looks good. This match, I didn't take a lot of notes. It was just really good. Actually, one of the best bits where Scott Hall gets to show off his power too because he's sort of underrated of how big and strong Mm. he is. Rick jumps off the top rope for a crossbody. Scott Hall catches him in the fallaway slam position and just throws him across the ring like he's nothing. It's such a, like, Scott Hall really is the workhorse of the NWO. Like, Mm -hmm. he, actually, no, I'll include Six in there as well because Six and Scott Hall are the ones that really drive that, uh, they're just so good together. And in comparison, I've written down, Compared to when Nash tags in, Nash is almost in slow motion, but that's how he wrestled as Diesel too. Hmm. But I think with Nash, it's almost like it's part of the act though, because Kevin Nash hmm. is a bit, you know, laid back. His promos are a bit slower and cooler. Like that's his thing. It, it works for him. Yeah. Going, uh, going uh, off track for just a smidge. Right now, there's a big renaissance on Twitter because Kevin Nash now has proved himself to be such, you know, like a positive liberal and he stands up for <laughs> gay rights, all of this sort of stuff that you wouldn't think Kevin Nash does. People have also been reappreciating his time in the X division in 2005 with Alex Shelley. There's like a weird renaissance of that. So his TNA work is getting quite a big shine. Yeah. But the look- paparazzi productions. If anyone hasn't seen it, just find those vignettes like Kevin Nash, comedic genius. He's so good. So so good. There's also that he he's little bits with Jay Lethal where he's punchline to everything that Lethal asked him is like, it's because you're black. <laughs> <laughs> Just could not be done now, but they're so good. Uh, anyway, look, we get a weird finish because there is a ref bump, but Randy Anderson, WCW referee, Randy Anderson, uh, Randy Anderson jumps the crowd, counts the pin. The place goes in completely mega as the Steiners win the tag team titles. Yeah, Very another cool. another great like match ending segment where the crowd's losing it. This was fun. Hall hits the outsider's edge. Nick Patrick goes down. Rick Steiner hits the top rope bulldog when Hall's looking for a ref. Randy Anderson makes the count. 
and yeah, another great segment to start saving this pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. It's kind of good because the, the the slow climb upwards in terms of saving the pay-per-view continues with the next match. We've got Eddie Guerrero, who is announced as a Mexican jumping bean via the, uh, the PA system. He's in a ladder match against Six for the US title. Now, we need to point out to... Six, who is Eddie- announced as the ultimate swinger. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. like... What is it? Is that a good thing? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre. But, uh, but so Eddie Guerrero is the champion. He doesn't have the belt because that was taken by the NWO. He won the belt because Ric Flair was the champion. And you know what? We've covered it in previous episodes of uh, Reliving the War. You probably are up to speed about why he's not the champion here. But I just wrote down here, Bump City. This match is just two guys complete disregard of these are this is like a tlc match just with two guys yeah these guys kill it this sort of gets uh underrated and overlooked because it happened in wcw who never really put the emphasis on like classic matches that they had that was another difference between the wwe and wcw at the time wwe would reference old matches like oh the legendary ladder match the legendary iron man match or bret hart versus this guy wcw never really did that you know, yeah. where this is a match that should have been part of their history moving forward, should have always been referenced as this all-time classic because it kind of is. And Eddie Guerrero's super over, Six is awesome. And yeah, they do so many new things that would become staples of ladder matches moving forward. There's a very cool spot too where Six is on top of the ladder as is Eddie Guerrero. They're both doing the climb up and Six actually does a spinning kick off the top, like those weird spinny ones. You know the ones he did, the X-Puck kicks. Mm. He kick And he kicks Guerrero off the top of the ladder, which is so cool. I made note of that. You know what Bischoff called it? What's that? Inverted jumping sidekick. Oh, of course he did. Of course <laughs> he did. Call it a kick off the ladder. Just call it, it a kick off the ladder. Even a spinning kick. Come on, Eric. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Uh, but look, it's a really cool match. Eddie wins. And the pop is massive. We mentioned this a couple of episodes ago we, on, on our most recent WCW episodes. You underrate how over Eddie Guerrero was back in the day. Eddie had it. Like, even when he didn't have the character sorted out, the Latino heat or, you know, the sleazy mullet and all that, bland babyface Eddie in this era was over still. Those Eddie chants didn't start in the WWE. Eddie mm. chants have existed, you know, forever. Yeah, since at least 1996. Yeah. So... Stellar match. Eddie wins the title. Big pop. We talk about how the card slowly starts going up. Then we get our final, the Miss NWO finals. And boy, oh boy, I I have to mention this time because first off, each contestant, they get a tail of the tape. Most of them have the same one, two of them. Two of them have the same tail of the tape. And they've all got like occupation, admin, occupation. And it's just the most boring driver, one of them. Yeah, and it's the most weirdest little thing. Now, Eric Bischoff does a weird little promo talking about how they were all picked because they live in the area and we didn't have to put them up in a hotel. It's the most awkward segment. Eric then picks the winner and then makes out with her and she looks about 60. I've just put in giant capital letters, what the F. I tried looking up uh, any clips of Eric Bischoff explaining this, and I found a clip from the podcast, 83 Weeks. His mm-hmm. logic was that the NWO, like, they didn't want to look cool. They wanted to look like like they were making fun of these women sort of thing. Right. But it didn't come across like that. Just like the garbage trucks. 
the logic seemed off for everything else the NWO had done. Generally, they would ride in limos. And, you know, yeah. the Wolfpack were these cool guys. And it was about money and power and this and that. And, you know, we're for life and gangsters. Why would they ever hang out with women like these, even in a joking way? Every backstage vignette we would see with Dennis Rodman and Hulk Hogan, they'd have these, you know, model-looking women. So Bischoff was saying, oh, we didn't want models. That would be too easy. But that's what the NWO was in every other scenario. And Bischoff being this sleaze with, uh, you know, when he would interact with Miss Elizabeth and and any any other woman on the show, why would he do this? It makes him look dumb. It made everyone in the NWO look like a bunch of weirdos and not in a good bad guy way. It was just off. I hated it. It was... It was and I so get it. Bizarre. He took, yeah. took a risk creatively and it backfired, but it's really one of the only creative black marks on the early NWO. I'm very passionate about it because I hated it. I've, um, I've written I've written down here too. While this is going on, the it sounds like the menu music to a video game on a PlayStation <laughs> One plays on loop in the background. And maybe that was the band finally playing for real. They just wanted to play this segment off. They're like, we'll play this and they'll know to leave. What about it my was... favorite hobby? Because they had the hobbies of the women. Oh, the best yes. one was Miss Jody. Her hobbies playing bowling and playing the lottery. <laughs> It's just so bad. Yeah. It is the worst. It's the absolute worst. There's no salvaging the segment. It's It even delves on for way too long. So you, it's not so bad, it's good. But when you watch it back on the WWE Network, just skip to the main event. That's mm. that's all I'm saying. Every time these segments come up. And maybe which, skip the main event too, honestly. <laughs> yeah, let's get to the main event because it's the Giant versus Hogan. Now, the... the Giant enters and Hogan gets the old Zordon video wall style promo. He also gets some epic pyro as well. And the best part, the best part about it is Hogan gets his entrance with the Dallas Cowboys. Vincent is there as well for no reason. But the Dallas Cowboys are doing that weird, awkward, like, we don't know what we're doing, but yeah, woo, Hulk Hogan. (laughs) There's Hulk Hogan. Woo. So strange. It is the most bizarre thing you'll ever see. And it sort of really sums up just how big WCW were back then where, you know, they'd have the celebrities coming on board now i don't know too much about nfl but i'm assuming that the dallas cowboys were doing big things back then which is why they're part of the nwo's entrance there the it then cut straight by the logic of bischoff's miss nwo though why would hogan hang out with three dallas cowboys why wasn't he hanging out with local team losers from you know some fourth string local team you know like yeah anyway so strange Damn, yeah, it then gets it then gets into <laughs> then gets into the age-old hogan formula main event match where you know it's just hulk hogan walking around he gets sweaty there's not a lot of action going on the crowd is hot though the crowd is yeah that's hot. true uh but the giant also um sits sits up out of the leg drop he he not kicks out but he it he almost no sells and it's so bizarre because there's some real pantomime cheating by Nick Patrick going on. Then the NWO B team comes out and the giant takes them all out. Like you said, the entire purpose of the B team was to be taken out by hmm. Sting. But in this case, it's the giant doing all the work there. A lot of we want Sting chance during mm-hmm. this too. And he never arrives. Very, very much. There's so many we want Sting chance there. All of a sudden, Hulk Hogan gets a guitar from Eric Bischoff. He takes out the giant. And it's just bizarre. And what's strange in the post-match, they go and pull the giant strides down 
and they pull him down a bit too much that his ass stanks <laughs> hangs out gets blurred and then scott hall has the sense to go oh we don't want to see that and pulls it up but then he saves it by doing like the little nose smelling oh big <laughs> then scott hall so good <laughs> <laughs> but it is so weird because the crowd is just dancing, chanting, we want Sting, we want Sting. And the pay-per-view ends with uh, Hogan rambling. That's it. Just like that, rambling off a half promo, sort of like we saw at Starcade. The pay-per-views just end at weird times. Was the guitar Hogan got the first time we saw one of those powdered fake guitars, yep. though, that Jeff Jarrett would use? Because, yeah, it yep. baby powder and it just exploded. And I tell you, the, the giant Paul White must have like the brittlest. He must have been a, a ref in his former life because <laughs> when he was taken out by the belt at Road Wild, he was out for about like yeah. for the duration. <laughs> yeah, of that's true. <laughs> he gets My taken out weakness, by the <laughs> getting hit mildly with a steel object or whatever with a foreign object to yeah. Paul White's head, and he's out for the ten count. But it is he's like a so boss in a video game. Any part of his body won't hurt him, but if you get that one sweet spot on his head, he's out. That's it. Hogan figured it out. It's just so bizarre. Look, the you get a very brief credit se- uh, sequence, which is literally just executive producer Eric Bischoff, aka the King. Show done. <laughs> the King, not with it's this so- performance. So look, we we have been a little bit uh, look. It's a very unique show. Mm. It, I reckon it deserves to be watched. I don't reckon it deserves your attention, but you need to see this pay-per-view because it is so different. Yeah, that's true. And especially in this era of every show, every pay-per-view feels the same. The set is the same every week. We see rematches nonstop. You're right. This match is so different from anything you would see in the modern era because it is so unique. And it's a giant company saying... What if we put on the weirdest show ever? And they tried. Mm. Like, it's not perfect. There's three pretty good matches and great segments. But, yeah, it's an oddity. Yep. It's a one-off. Yeah, do not... And, and that's, that's the thing, too. Like, we could really crap on it a lot more if there was, like, NWO 19... If NWO sold out 1998 was the same. But clearly, they've gone, look, we tried. Didn't quite work out, so... In itself, that's why it gets a uh, look. Check it out for the curiosity's sake, but it's not. If we had more pay per views like this, then I think you could tarnish the legacy a little bit more. But this will always go down as the first and only ever NWO pay per view. They tried something different, didn't work, and they just went on, sold it on as normal. Hmm. And um, before we wrap things up, one thing I noticed about Bischoff's commentary too, another like sort of fun historical thing. He keeps referring to everyone. He does it in the opening uh, garbage truck segment. He does it on commentary. He keeps calling people the stuff. Buff Bagwell would notice that, I think, and say, I'm stealing that and I'm going to call myself the stuff. And that stuck for him only, no one else. It was his theme music. Buff is the stuff and the girls can't get enough. That's it. He took the stuff and he debuted the blockbuster. So in terms of Buff Bagwell historical moments, sold out is his pay-per-view. So, if anything, this is the genesis of <laughs> Buff Bagwell becoming a modern day superstar. That's it. Hey, but look, we have, like I said, we have been fairly negative towards this pay per view, but it's it's quirky. It's a very quirky one for an, for a very odd. So, it's by no means is it a World War Three. It gets a pass above it because it's so unique. But I strongly recommend that you check it out. I also even more highly recommend that you start hitting the fast forward button and just get skip the matches or. 
just try and watch a condensed version of it because it's really it's not that good of a pay-per-view but it's quite unique yeah look if there's one match that we would say you've got to watch six versus eddie guerrero six if you've versus, never yep. seen it uh a real classic that sort of yeah sometimes gets forgotten about if we're picking an mvp of this pay-per-view I don't think there's any other choice other than Nick Patrick, who referees every yep. match and does a weird performance and, you know, interference in every single match. So shout out to Nick Patrick. What's even more bizarre is he leaves every match afterwards just to come back. I'm pretty like- sure it's so he could get a hit of oxygen, <laughs> Axel Rose style, between <laughs> yeah. matches. He's dying out there. Yeah, the poor dude's just on his feet for three hours flat. So yeah, shout out to Nick Patrick there. Uh, but yeah, it's a very odd pay-per-view. I, I recommend it. Uh, as I said, I also recommend fast forwarding through it uh, when you get to the Miss NWO segments and just go the Outsiders match, the six match. That's basically it. Oh, maybe the DDP versus Scott Norton one is pretty cool as well. But aside from that, very little to write home about aside from the fact that it is a very unique pay-per-view. But uh, Simon, look, what is our next pay-per-view on the card? We've got to do a, a WWF in your house. We have done... We're right into 1997. It is the resurgence, you might say. And next off the block, it is a WWE pay-per-view uh, in your house, which I haven't quite got a list in front of me. It's in your house final four. Ah, yes. Which is a great match. Um, you know, a lot of people sort of look at it uh, fondly in hindsight as sort of a, a classic. That main event is great. Mm. I can't remember the whole pay-per-view, but for a lot of people, 1997 is one of the standout years for the WWE. And even though the Royal Rumble was pretty fun, I think from this pay-per-view on, they really start hitting their strides by putting people in different positions. We mm. see Brett really leaning into being a heel. Shawn Michaels would return and start flirting with being, you know, the DX Shawn that we'd see. And, and everything falls in place. So it's going to be good. It's also, I think, uh, the first pay-per-view where... Sean loses his smile too. So, uh, well, yeah, we saw him as the champion at the Royal Rumble. He's not hmm. champion by this pay per view because, yeah, he lost his smile along the way, which well, we'll we gl- we're, we're so glad that he found it along the uh, the series. <laughs> but anyway, look, um, it, we, it's been a blast watching uh, the pay per view of 1996. 1997 is just the tip of the iceberg. We cannot wait for that. So, yeah, in your house 13, final four, it's coming soon here on Grey Wolf Wrestling's Reliving the War. As always, if you want to follow Simon, you can do so at Simon Tackler on Facebook, Instagram, and all of the socials. You can follow me at Doc Nims on Twitter. Check out the full archives at greyrolfentertainment.net. But until next time, this has been Reliving the War, and we'll catch you next time for In Your House Final Four. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.